Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. And uh, just as we ended our, unfortunately, uh, months-long hiatus last week to talk to Gorman Bouchard, the co-founder, co-director of the NH Docs Film Festival here in New Haven, which is about to begin its sixth annual celebration of local, regional, and national nonfiction cinema. Uh, I've got two, a, a filmmaker and a subject of one of the documentaries that will be featured at this year's fest on the radio today. I'm joined by Eric Michael Schrader, the co-director and many more roles and responsibilities for Zulu Summer. And also Dark, ooh, Dark, I'm going to have you say your last name because I've forgotten it. Dark... Sure, it's uh, French, uh, Sevier, Dark Sevier. Dark Sevier, wonderful. So, And Dark Sevier, you are, where are you in the country right now? I am in uh, my 96 Dodge in Butte, Montana. So we've got Dark in a 96 Dodge in Butte, Montana. And Eric, are you in a, a Dodge as well, wherever you are, or maybe not? <laughs> I'm outside. Uh, I can see the Hollywood sign here in L.A., and I've got a plane leaving for Connecticut in the next few hours. So I'll be on the east side. Shortly, tomorrow morning. That's great. He's one of those people that does walk in, in L.A. <laughs> well, this is a, a rare coast-to-coast production with me in our closet size studio here in New Haven. Uh, so, Eric, I, I want to, before you know, at, at the start of this episode, I want to make sure that our listeners are clear. You are not just playing a bootleg copy of Eddie Murphy's Coming to America at, uh, at NH Docs this year, are you? No, no, and usually that's my lead-in when I talk to folks about this movie. I they they don't get it at first, and all I can do is compare it to Coming to America. And I say, you ever seen that movie with Eddie Murphy Coming to America? And most folks have. It's a classic. And I say, well, we made the real one. Except the prince doesn't go to New York or Queens. He goes to Butte, Montana, of all places. And then you just have this blank stare, like, why the heck would he go to Butte? And you've and got to watch. Usually, my lead in. And you've got to watch Zulu Summer to find out. Well, give give us a. Um, I think that's that's a good setup. I mean, uh, three, uh, three men from the Zulu Nation in in South Africa reach out to a low power FM station in Butte, Montana, uh, one founded and and run by by Dark. Um, Eric, could could you give us the, again just the the kind of basic the basic plot of of Zulu Summer and also. How on earth you you came across this story? Well, I'll let Doug talk about how the email came through, the mysterious email. Um, But first, we were working on another documentary that actually played in New Haven last year called Will Works Reviews um, with Weird Paul, the uh, 1980s YouTube vlogger. And as we were making that film, we got word about a prince that was coming to Butte, Montana. And the story was so good that we had to be there for when the prince arrived, if he was going to arrive. And we ended up making two documentaries at the same exact time. Paul, we were already invested in, Weird Paul. And the zoo thing was time sensitive because the prince was coming and then he was leaving. He was only there for three months. So we were scrambling around between Pittsburgh for Weird Paul, Butte, Montana for the prince and dark and KBMF and back here in Los Angeles doing our regular gig, which is uh, a show on National Geographic called Life Below Zero. So we were running around rat, uh, crazy, like crazy people for the last two and a half years. Uh, and the pr- meeting the prince and meeting Dark, I can tell you right now, uh, if I ever need a place to run away to, Butte, Montana is that place because it is beautiful. It's a little rough around the edges, but once you meet the people 
and uh, the folks there and the, the food and the, the, the restaurants and bars, it is a wonderful place. It's my own personal Atlantis. Mm. And now, uh, Dark, these these three men reached out to you, and you are uh, one of the, the hosts and founders of a low-power station in Butte, and those two facts are related, right? How, how, is, it, how is it important, or why is it important, uh, that you are not just uh, doing any job in, in Butte, but that you are involved in a community radio station, and how did that lead to this uh, pretty miraculous connection? Uh, it's it's um, the story is threaded through with ridiculous synchronicities and coincidences and kismet, whatever else you want to call it. Um, I moved to Butte in 2014, a year and a half before KBMF went on the air. Uh, Clark Grant is the lightning rod behind the station. He's the station manager. Uh, he's the one that did all the hard work of getting the license, uh, finding, you know, founding the nonprofit, finding somebody to start the nonprofit, uh, doing all the work that is required before you can flip the switch. I was fortunate enough to land here in time to say, uh, do you have a music director? And as he says, nobody has asked that before, so do you want the job? So um, there was no payment for the job, of course. Um, so we basically scrapped the station together from spare parts and were able to get it on the air in uh, June of 2015. And uh, I, my background is in uh, comedy. Uh, I'm an artist. Uh, I MC shows. Um, I have had uh, life in and out of radio since I was 16. Uh, oftentimes, uh, my mouth gets me in trouble. So I had been banned from this station's Facebook page from the first week of going on the air. Uh, and then they let me back on just in time for me to find an email from a Zulu Prince in our inbox, um, which I did what I think a lot of people would do, which is imagine that that is some kind of scam. Somebody who is claiming to be an African prince and they're going to ask for my credit card soon. So um, I'm a writer, and so I often respond to these emails uh, as a writing exercise before I go into my regular work. So I decided to take on this email and um, uh, basically mess with this poor guy until he gave up. Uh, and he didn't give up. So, uh, Do you remember the moment when you were going... convinced that, that this was an yes. actual person who wanted to connect with you as opposed to someone trolling you or trying to scam you? Right. I rem yes, I remember that moment very clearly. Um, the show that I was doing with the station manager, Clark and Dirk, it's a Thursday night show, 10 to midnight, Montana time. Uh, at the time, we were doing um, theme shows. So this week, we might talk about numbers. The next week, we might talk about weapons. The next week, we might whatever. So we would come up with a random theme, find music and, and discussion around that theme. Uh, so I thought, Zulu's. Let's have a Zulu-themed show. And so I went back and forth with the prince and was putting our exchanges on our Facebook page for the show um, to sort of lead up to this Zulu show, which I was convinced this was a scam. And it was just an excuse for me to dive into who are the Zulus, what is contemporary Zulu music, what is traditional Zulu music. I was just going to use it as a catalyst to talk as a theme for a show. Um, and so 
I was posting this stuff live, the back and forth, and I was giving him a hard time. Uh, and as we got closer to the night of the show, I was pushing him harder. I was saying, figuring that he would give up at some point, but he didn't. Uh, so as we got closer to the show, uh, I started pushing harder, started dealing with the Illuminati and so on and so forth. And the station manager, uh, Clark Grant, he actually uh, did more Googling than I did and found out that, um, the, the Zulu kingdom has a government website and the king had started a radio station, uh, with the manager, uh, Prince Bo Zulu. And I found out just a few hours before we were supposed to go live. And at that point, they, I told them that I was going to create a show that they could broadcast on their station because I didn't think it was real. And suddenly it was real. And uh, from our 11 o'clock to midnight part of our show, we were supposedly going to go live in South Africa. Um, what happened next was uh, I'd already made an intro with Eddie Murphy from Coming to America and Lion Roars. And I spent the first hour of our show that was just local here in Butte and streamed online going through the emails, explaining myself while texting the prince and finding out the protocols that were required for me to address his majesty, uh, King uh, Goodwill Zwilithini, as well as all the village heads before we went live. So we flipped the switch at, uh, they flipped the switch their side in Nongoma, South Africa at 7 a.m. their time, 11 p.m. our time. And we did an hour of broadcast to 77,000 bewildered Zulu people. That is incredible. Well, and, and I should say for, you know, for, uh, for listeners, all of this serves as a kind of a, a prelude to what you will see in the movie. This will only enrich the, because all of the, I, I did not know any of this. The movie begins more or less right before the Zulus arrive and we they arrive. We, we hear about the kind of months of preparation that dark you've, you've really it seems like you took on the role as a um as you know missionary to prepare all of your fellow community members in Butte that that these folks were going to come and to get them excited about them to make sure that there wasn't going to be an empty airport when these three men arrived after their 40 plus hour trip and the movie itself documents i think quite intimately the very close emotional relationship that develops between in particular dark but also the you know group that surrounds this radio station and these three men who who spend the the entire summer there eric i I wonder as the um you know this is probably something that you always have to or any documentary filmmaker has to has to wrestle with how did you both like physically and emotionally kind of position yourself in your camera as you documented the story? Because again, these three men completely, you know, in a, in a place uh, they've never been before, surrounded by people they've never met before. Uh, and, and there's this really intimate thing going on before you. I don't know how, what was your approach as the, as the filmmaker to capture this, this remarkable story that dark is laying out for us? I think there's a lot of moments that weren't even captured where we became friends early on. Uh, Here they come to a country they'd never been to before for the first time. And the people of Butte were so welcoming to them. I I became their roommate for a period of time where I was living with them. And we shared a lot of the same thoughts and ideas. Everyone would say to each other in the morning, party. And they always loved that. The Zulus always loved party. Uh, you know, it was just trying, I was working nonstop 
you know, Dark was being the tour guide, and I was trying to make it look like we had 15 cameras going at once, which we only had one to two. Uh, just running around, capturing every moment. It was tiring, tiring days. But at the end of each day, I'm, I'm reporting back to Joseph Listing or the co-director via text or email or phone call saying, wait till I come back to L.A. to see what we got. It's, it's explosive. It was, you know, tears running down my face for some of the capturing of these moments, whether it was them being the Grand Marshals and the Butte Fourth of July parade or the Prince seeing fireworks for the time or meeting Bernie Sanders. There was all these moments that just magical moments that just kept happening. And I couldn't believe being behind the camera that this was getting captured. And, you know, when I went back to my hotel in, uh, in Montana or back to the house where I was living with the Zulus, I was backing up that footage three, four times to make sure it all got back home safely with us. Um, and Dark, I, I want to throw it, uh... I don't know, the, the reverse side of that question your way. I mean, how self-conscious were you throughout the course of the making of this movie about, um, I don't know, about kind of being constantly documented uh, for the sake of this, again, remarkable intersections posterity? I mean, did you, did you feel like you're always kind of playing for both the camera as you are... Uh, as you are getting to know these three men or after a while to just kind of fade into the background? Well, um, you know, I, I spent my twenties in Los Angeles and sort of burned out on the idea of being in front of the camera. Um, I had no desire to be in front of the camera. I just knew I invited these guys to come over when I thought I was talking to a Nigerian scammer. And when it turned out that wasn't the case, I had to honor that invitation. And so we had to figure out, we're a low-power station. I think at that point I was making $250 a month for 30 hours a week. So it's not like I'm going to be able to put them up. The radio station doesn't have any money. So it was, but I thought, we can't not document it. You can't have this happen and not have somebody document it. And um, luckily through uh, uh, Don Andrews, who runs a local film festival here in Butte, uh, people were asking what was happening through the daisy chain. We connected with Eric and with Joseph. And um, when they came, uh, when I met Eric the first time, uh, he is an excellent documentary filmmaker in that I didn't feel like there was, I, I have to trust who's on the other side of the camera. Um, if I don't know who's on the other side of the camera, I don't know what they are seeing. I don't know what they're going to record. But his uh, ingratiating himself, not just to myself, but to uh, the folks in town before the Zulus even arrived. He connected with people. People knew who he was. So when the camera came up, there was no self-consciousness. So uh, I was about as mean as I can be in front of a camera. So um, that's what made it so easy to do is because I trusted the person who held the camera, which made all the difference in the world. If somebody else had been behind the camera that I didn't get along with, we would have never seen the project happen. Mm. Um, I, well, first, let me say you're listening to Deep Focus on WNHHLP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and I'm talking with Eric Michael Schrader, the uh, co-director and editor and, and cinematographer. And maybe I'll just keep throwing out titles until Eric says no. But I, th I think that he did all of those things and more for Zulu Summer, a new documentary playing at this year's New Haven Documentary Film Festival, and also Dark Sivier uh, of uh, a low-power FM community radio station in Butte, Montana, that is featured prominently 
in Eric's documentary. I will say that one of the joys for uh, an audience member like myself who does not live in Butte uh, about Zulu Summer is not just watching this, again, pretty remarkable, unlikely relationship between these three men and an entire 30,000-person city unfold, but also you get to spend a lot of time in a just geologically incredible place of, of Butte. It is it is stunning, the, the mountain scenery that one gets to behold as you're watching this relationship play out. And Eric, I will say one of my favorite uh shots or i guess i should say uh kind of juxtapositions in the movie is the the opening credit sequence where you do have a kind of split screen sometimes two ways sometimes three ways showing is it nongoma is that the name of the town in south africa where these three nongoma, are from? Yeah. and and also Butte, and as different as they may be in terms of one having a lot of snow one doesn't i do feel like that opening sequence really communicates a certain uh, isolation uh, and also just like but uh, th- these are not big cities that that either of, of these places are but also there's a just a magnificence to the environment that uh, that both of these groups can call I got a lot of wind from your phone Eric I think but I'm not hearing anything from Connecticut okay uh, yeah I think we I think we lost connection a little bit oh no Oh, can I... Oh, can, there we go. There nope, we go. No, nope, 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 we're good now. We're oh, good great. Now. Excellent. Perfect. Um, so, but, so yes, I, I just wanted to commend and, and cue our, our listeners to uh, the, just the, I don't know, the incredible scenery on display in both places. I do, I do want to ask, um, you know, I think some of the more uh, kind of pointed uh, political lessons of the movie are kind of broadly speaking about how... Uh, you know, common humanity transcends any particular geographic difference, uh, but also the importance of recontextualizing the privilege that one has when you meet some. I mean, the the three men from South Africa are often talking about how how appreciative they are of a you know a huge, readily accessible grocery store in Walmart that has clean uh, and you know safe food, or to be able to go to an election and not have to worry about. Um, you know, being killed as uh, as one of the men's brothers was, who who was a, a political player in South Africa. And I, w- I want to ask both both Dark and Eric this. Maybe I'll start with Dark and then go to Eric. Um, Dark, there's a, a lot of talk over the course of the movie, and I assume over the course of the summer, about how the perspective that these Zulu men brought to Butte really changed the way you think about your community, the way you think about American politics. Okay, wait. You have to forgive me. I'm hearing a lot of birds. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm I don't not know where hearing those... you. There's a... Uh, yeah, let me try. There we go. Ah, okay. okay. try that again. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, well, I wanted to ask, you know, in particular, the I, I think the Walmart scene is a particularly poignant one where these three men walk in, they see aisles and aisles and aisles of food, and they are, and other stuff, uh, and they are remarking on how appreciative they are of just the availability of this stuff. And right. I wonder if, I mean, that... Were moments like those reminders to you, Dark? And then I'll go to Eric, that, again, that, that Americans need to, as I said earlier, kind of recontextualize the privilege and relative safety and ease of access to basic necessities? Or, or are we talking about two different things? Can we appreciate readily accessible groceries and still be disgusted by the you know, incredibly low pay uh, that right. Walmart gets away with and exploiting, like, you right. know, I a, think, a working uh, Context class. is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, when when Mokai arrived, he hit the ground running 
and went around uh, doing a poll of everybody who he talked to. And he asked the same question. Uh, he said, are you happy? And if you are not happy, what is it that you think would make you happy? And after doing that for the first week or so, he came to me and said, and this is without irony, this is without sarcasm, he said, we want to have your problems. We want to get to the point where we are complaining about the things that you are complaining about. And it's first world problems, right? So that was the point for me where I realized who I was in the presence of. Because it wasn't sarcastic. It wasn't mean-spirited. It wasn't um, somebody who was shaming us for complaining about our problems. He was very good about saying, your problems are your problems, our problems are our problems. We're here to learn. We're not here to judge. Um, and they could have very easily been in a position of judgment considering the issues that they deal with. Um, when we did the screening in Portland last Saturday, we had somebody bring up that specific question about Walmart from a Portland perspective, which is like, is that what we wanted to go home with? Is that Walmart is good? And I was like, they don't know the story. They don't know that maybe Walmart had negative effects on our community. All they see is what it is right now. And so that's what makes context so important. Um, uh, so that is, that's my answer to it. Uh, it's all about context. Um, we can judge ourselves, we can judge them, we can judge each other, but without context, those judgments sort of fall, those judgments are easy to have. Hmm. But within context, the, the harshness of our judgment of each other sort of falls away. And that's what I feel the gift is they gave to me, was a different context they wish to see who I am, who we are as Americans. That's great. And, and Eric, I want to throw the same question your way and maybe frame it around a different scene, the one where um, where the Butte residents go to vote in the special election that involves the Republican candidate who body slammed that journalist. And the uh, the one of the Zulu men says, you know, that that would not be a wise move for a politician in South Africa to do. They would incur uh, a great hit to their reputation if they were to body slam someone uh, right before an election. But I, I wonder, um, yeah, how did, again, was this was this more about recontextualizing or did you find that there was a, I don't know, this right lessons and wrong lessons to take away from this cross-cultural exchange? Yeah, I just thought as, you know, this is educational for us. You know, you have this Republican who's body-slamming reporters, but he still gets voted. Then you have someone completely from a different country going, how is this possible? This is not good news. We don't understand. For a Zulu coming here for the first time, why would this be such a thing? And I think it just reflects on us or the audience watching going, yeah, that is kind of screwed up. We know it's screwed up, but we still allow it, or he still gets voted in. So I think for me, capturing those moments uh, with Joseph, it's, it's really uh, an eye-opener, or our eyes are open. We just allow things to just slide sometimes. And I think it's kind of embarrassing for a prince to question what is going on in our country. And I, I love that part. Uh, you know, we were there when it was happening. Or, you know, I want to just say one thing. Going into the voting area with a camera, I was very shocked that there was no police or security or anyone bugging me about having a camera there, especially the... The Bernie Sanders uh, speaking at the Butte Civic Center, 
no one bothered us. You couldn't do that in Los Angeles, uh, running around with a camera like that. It was really uh, a different kind of place. And it also made me realize things, some things about Los Angeles that I don't really care for. Like you have to have, you know, $10,000 uh, in cash to go shoot somewhere or some location. Uh, if you was open uh, with their arms about, hey, you want to film here? Go right ahead. And as a, a, a video, you know, cinematographer, um, that's a joy not to have to ask permission, really. Or you ask permission and they go, go, go ahead. We don't, we don't mind. Show off our town. And I really appreciated that from the town. That's yeah, one thing I told our friends from South Africa when they came here is you're not coming to America. You're coming to Butte, America, which is a different creature. Hmm. Um, and that, I think Eric would probably corroborate that. Uh, the the story of the movie is contextualized in Butte and then contextualized within a low-power community radio station that is about social justice and education. So there's, there's levels to the environment that they landed in, which I think makes the story um, interesting in terms of context. Uh, it, this, this, uh, somebody asked us in Santa Barbara at the world premiere, do you think these guys would have had the same experience if they landed in, in the South, in Biloxi, Mississippi? And I was like, maybe not the same experience, but if they landed to a community radio station, to a low-power radio station, they might have had, uh, a, something akin because of the community around the medium, which is all about community radio, the community hearing the community. Yeah, I think that I think that's a great point. Actually, that that was the kind of one of the the last question that I wanted to make sure to to ask you both while while I have you here talking about Zulu Summer, which is you know again one of the moments that most sticks with me after watching the movie last night was when one of the men from from South Africa asks, "Did we have a?" representative American experience? Was this an authentic American experience that we had? And I honestly, I, I don't, I don't remember who, who it is that, uh, that he asked and, and what the answer is. But I think that what you just said, Doug, is really important to remember that they had a, a uniquely uh, kind of butte and low power FM and community oriented and social justice focused experience. But I do wonder how I mean, as, as someone who, who lives in this city year-round, uh, Dark, what did you make of the representation of Butte in this movie? Is this, is this the Butte that you recognize, both the kind of city of festivals and also the city where uh, you're going to have someone karaoke singing to 50 Cent's P.I.M.P. Uh, um, we're, we're a bit of a beat-up town. Uh, they say we are the uh, the west westernmost Rust Belt city. Um, you know, we were a boom town and then a bus town, and now we're trying to reinvent ourselves. We're looking for a new way to define ourselves, not being defined by our history, but being defined by who we are right now. Um, this town has an amazing history that isn't even touched on in the movie, uh, but they it. The history still lives large here, but in that history is is uh, a culture that has evolved, and that culture is inclusive. That culture at one point, Butte, Montana, had seventeen different ethnic neighborhoods, um, and so people who are raised here, even though it's mostly white people, ostensibly when you look around, they don't see themselves as white people. 
they see themselves as people from Butte who don't care where you're from. So it's a part of the culture. Um, and so I feel like the town represents who we are, which I think when you show this movie outside the context of this town, it raises more questions than it answers. People want to know, where is this place? Did you see this? Or did you edit out the rednecks in the pickup truck? What is this place? And I think it, it does a really good job of representing who we are in this town. I'm not from here, you know. Like, I think to be considered from here, you have to have four generations. Hmm. Um, I've only been here six years. Uh, but they treated me like family. And uh, I'm honored to be uh, incidentally in a position to show this town to the rest of the world. Though I will be the first to say that I am not from here. And it is not my job to represent it. I feel like the representation of this film it does the town justice. I want to make a comment. Uh, you know, there's no big conflict here, but the movie, I believe, is compelling, and that's what the reviews have been. I think in the film, Dark sets up what Butte, Montana is, and then the Zulus coming there validate what Butte, Montana is. So it's not Dark saying, oh, this is a great place. You know, you, you should move here and buy a house. I think the Zulus validate that to the audience watching so maybe someone watching the opening uh man on the street where people are saying you know butte why would they come here well i think when the um the zulus actually spend their time there they tell the audience no this place is really extraordinary and this is a place you would want to come to and you know they didn't go to los angeles and they didn't go to miami they would have got lost in the shuffle i live in la i'm a hollywood boulevard you can meet people from all over the world. No one would really care if, if the Zulus came to L.A., I don't think. Um, so they were very lucky in where they landed. That's exactly For a community. I, I, I feel like for that... For a community. Oh, go for it. Sorry, I was going to say, I, think, I feel like uh, it's a perfect capstone, but you're saying they, they, they were very lucky in, in where they landed for community. Yes, to take them in and to give them a place to live and take them shooting or take them to Yellowstone. Like, you wouldn't get that. You would have to pay, you know, $50 for a Hollywood tour bus to take you around Hollywood. They had people lined up to take them around in their vehicles when they weren't working. Uh, Dark became a soccer mom for three months, driving them around in his uh, pickup truck. Like, you wouldn't have that same uh, thing here in Los Angeles or Miami or anywhere. I think because it was small town, they are so fortunate to have reached out, dark to pull them in, and then to meet the people of Butte. I think they had a Butte experience, but they also had an American experience because the parade and the fireworks, it's like a picture-perfect place. It's like a Norman Rockwell kind of place, but it's a little rough around the edges. And even for me going there, it brought back a lot of traditions of, America that I don't see in a busy city like L.A., having potlucks or having, you know, concerts that are free. You don't have that in L.A. Or having, you know, a traditional uh, parade uh, with everyone dressed up. Everyone dressed up from the town. Uh, everyone was participating. And here, it's, I think Los Angeles is a very divided place. I love it here, but I loved, uh, you know, this movie, you know, Tom Petty writes songs and he has a lot of uh, L.A. references. He's like writing 
a love song to uh, to Los Angeles. And I think my time in view and Joseph's time in view, the movie is a love letter to view from our perspective. That's uh, that's great. Well, you know what? I, I what what better place to to end it if you, you in New Haven will be able to experience. Uh, that very love letter uh, to Butte and this remarkable story of three men from South Africa uh, spending the summer there uh, as hosted and shepherded around town by the uh, the people who work at the community radio station. Uh, in the movie Zulu Summer, which is playing Saturday, June 1st at 4 p.m. at the Whitney Humanities Center downtown on Wall Street, uh, as part of the sixth annual New Haven Documentary Film Festival, uh, quickly before before we go, both Eric and Dark, if people are interested in learning more about the movie uh, beyond this this particular screening, uh, where can they go? And also, any anything else you want to you want to plug? Any any of the work you want to share before uh, before we wrap up? Um, I'll let Eric do the business part of it. I I will say that there's a really lot of right now. Uh, so Kello Masomi is back with us. Uh, would you like to take a moment to say hello to one of the stars of the film? Oh, sure. I would love to. This is the uh, Zulu with an amazing voice and sings in the movie. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, Kokello is a, was a presenter at Nongoma FM. He, uh, he is no longer with Nongoma, Nongoma FM. I am no longer with KBMF. I think we both still support the efforts in the movie. Um, is a tribute to the things that we love, which is community radio. Um, Coquello came back in town for the Butte uh, premiere, and uh, he—I just saw him walking up behind the truck. So I, I'd like you to have—I'd like to give him a moment to say hello to New Haven before the premiere this Saturday. I would uh, love one, that. Thank you. One moment. I'd like to introduce you to Masomi. And I can say that the, the film will be streaming on iTunes and Amazon July second. Uh, we have a distribution uh, through Gravitas Ventures that have some of my favorite docs, Dave Grohl, Sound City, Colin Hanks, All Things Must Pass. So July 2nd, iTunes and Amazon. And another interesting fact is there are Nongo- people from Nongoma that now live in Connecticut, believe it or not, that are coming to the screening to see their old, their old hometown. Get out of here. That is amazing. So we have some um, people from Nongoma seeing the film for the first time. And I, I think I'm going to bring them up for a Q&A so people can get their perspective of what they saw on the screen. That's great. So you, you won't, right. New Haven watchers, your uh, viewers, you won't just be able to experience the, the beauty that is Butte and the story, but you'll also get to hear from people from Nongoma at, at the, if you check out the screening on June 1st. Um, that's great. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, that's pretty, and I just found out because I think the Zulus, when they left Nongoma, or when they left Butte to go back home, uh, you know, they flew from New York, and they made a little small trip to Connecticut on their way back, and they were hanging out with these fellows, young fellows from uh, Nongoma that now live in Connecticut. So they told their Nongoma friends that now live in Connecticut, please go to the screening, and I saw on Facebook that they were all coming Saturday. That's great. That's great. And... and and Dark, do we have you? Uh, do we have you back on the air? Okay, it's 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 Kokelo. It's Kokelo, one uh, the guys from uh, Nongoma. Wonderful. Well, welcome, Kokelo. I'm I'm so grateful that you were able to to come on this this interview. I'm uh, I'm in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, where the where Zulu Summer is going to be playing uh, in just a few days on June first. Um, so first, could I mean congratulations on on uh, you know being part of such such a wonderful movie. I wonder how, uh, as 
as you've seen the movie and started to see audiences react to it, how are you feeling? How does it feel to watch your story play out over the course of, of Eric's movie? Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. It's, it's, it's more than what I expected. So the scenes uh, are like those in, in, in the movie. So these guys who, who are doing this uh, documentary are very good on their job. Uh, I, we, we do need to appreciate them. And so the things we're doing here were so nice, but when you see them both on the movie, it's like, it's like, this is not me, this is not where, this is not viewed, so it's a, it's a wonderful job, uh, what they've done, and I uh, say uh, to those guys, uh, we do appreciate them, and it's a great movie, I hope uh, we, uh, everybody in Connecticut is going to enjoy it, and I hope uh, those guys who are from Nongomo, who are going to come and watch it, are going to enjoy it too. And and what are your plans now? So you're in Butte right now. Are you planning on staying in Butte, or what? What are what are you up to next? Uh, I'm waiting for a film festival, Covenant Film Festival here uh, on the 19th, uh, from the 19th of June until the 23rd, and I'll go back home on the 28th of uh, of 26th of, of June. And there's also a June 16 celebration in Connecticut in South Africa. June 16 is a youth day. Uh, so guys from South Africa who live in Connecticut, they always have a celebration. And they have invited me to come over Connecticut on the June 16 celebration uh, to celebrate with them. That That is incredible. Well, if you, I don't know if, if you'll be in New Haven, Connecticut for that, but maybe... Uh... We, we I can... think it's Dunbarry. I'm not sure, but I think this guy lives in Dunbarry. Uh, I don't know, maybe, yeah. That's great. Oh, excellent. Well, I, again, I'm really, I'm really appreciative that that you were able to come on on the interview. And and Eric and and Dark, thank you as well for for making this movie happen and for for coming to share the story with us on uh, on WNHH. Okay. Thank you, Sam. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Thank you so much.